Adam Reamer, where are all my friends? This is an exciting one because we have a lot of mutual friends and somehow have never properly met. And when we connected just over the internet, I was like, wait a minute, what's all this cool stuff you're doing over here? How do we have all these mutual <laughs> friends? So this is very much an episode where in real time, I need to hear your story, dude. Yeah, dude. Um, It's so funny because I'm really good friends with Ben Farber and Chris Georgian and um, I, I, mean, I know Bryce and I know Johnny and a bunch of people who've been on your podcast and they, and they turned me on and, um, I started doing these long walks not that long ago around my neighborhood, like five mile walks. And I was looking for podcasts to listen to. And so I threw like the Farber, the Georgian one on and I was texting with them. I was like, I, I really like this guy. Like he's so excited to like hear people's stories. And then I was like, I've learned so much about you too. And like, that's so, it's so cool to hear where you guys came from and your stories. Cause I've known them for a long time and, and never knew that. So I'm trying to do this thing where if I like something, like I reach out to people and tell them, cause I feel like it's really important for people to know that their work is, is good and that people are listening or enjoying what they're doing. So I just, I just hit you up and was like, I just want to tell you, I like your, uh, like your podcast. Um, so that's yeah. how we got connected. But so, so first off, thanks for having me. I'm like a Dude. big fan. I really love it. Dude, you're so, so welcome. And I'm sure there's going to be so much about your story where I'm like, damn, what? And I'm going to be so hype on this. But I love what you said there about reaching out to people and complimenting them when they do something that you like. Because I think that that's somehow lost as we get older and get more into our careers. It's like somehow it always feels like it has to be a competition or something like that. And it's just like, why? Like if somebody's doing something sick, reach out and tell them that. And I have done that. I have adopted that as well. And it's crazy the amount of friendships. I'll see somebody doing something and I'll low key be a little threatened. I'll be like, this motherfucker did it better than me. And then I'll stop and I'll be like, no, that's sick. That's inspiring. That's cool. And when I feel that, I, I oftentimes that's that sign of I should reach out and compliment this person because they're doing something cool. And so often that leads to such an organic friendship. And it's a reminder not to be like some petty asshole that's like too threatened by things that you just won't admit to yourself. Or yeah, no, know. you're right. And, and it's such a hard industry that we're in that like when people are doing cool things in it, um, you know, it's, it, it feels like it should be a super rewarding industry, but it's not always. Um, and, and so when people are doing cool things, I think it's really important to, to let them know. And yeah, the th- being threatened thing, like, yeah, that was something I probably dealt with for a long time. And now like I use feeling threatened as like a motivator. Like I love when I have like a really good intern or a, a, a young kid out of college who's at a coordinator or whatever. And they're awesome. Like, it always makes me better, you know, being around great people pushing, it pushes me to be better, but that's something I've learned over 13 years. So. <laughs> no, I'm really glad you said that though. And that's so cool. And this is legit. I'm not saying by any means like, oh, I was so awesome and you were threatened, whatever, <laughs> no, but I'm just saying you. like, that's sick that you took cool, a second man. to reach out to somebody. I yeah. wish more people would do that because here we are and we have all these mutual friends and I'm obsessed with meeting yep. cool people, doing cool things. Like I feel like as you build networks and learn more people, you have a genuine community and like Farber made right. music pals literally because of that. And like 
all of these things. And it's just awesome to have genuine community. So I feel like this episode is a step towards building even more community. So I'm equally as stoked to have you on. You know, one of the other things I really love is hearing people's stories and how they got to where they are. Um, Because again, I work with someone like Ben and I, I didn't know his background and um, I have major imposter syndrome and I'm always thinking like, um, gosh, I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to have what I have. But when I hear other people's stories, it's like, okay, like they're not so different than me. So again, another, it's cool that I get to kind of come here and talk about where I came from, um, which, which is, you know, I'm, I'm from a, a town called Galesburg, Illinois, about three hours West of Chicago. Um, you know, I, my dad was a music teacher taught first grade through high school choir and music, um, owned his own piano tuning business. So music was kind of always around. And long as I can remember, I wanted to be a drummer. And, you know, when I was in third grade, I got my first drum set and um, took lessons and really fell in love with that. And, you know, I was also big into sports. I mean, I was a huge hockey player and played varsity soccer in high school and um, baseball, of course. But, um, you know, I, I loved playing the drums on the side. And you know, I didn't really fall in love with music um, really until about seventh or eighth grade. My um, my friend Ben uh, gave me uh, the Wallflower CD or told me about the Wallflowers. And um, and, I, <laughs> and I remember taking, you know, it was like a safe band. I could listen to it with my parents around, you know, um, and it was great. And it was Jacob Dylan and Bob Dylan's son yeah. is just a great songwriter. And um, yeah, Bringing Down the Horse is just like an iconic album. And um, and it's funny because my one of my best friends, we used to play basketball in his driveway and listen to music. And he went out and got the Godzilla soundtrack because the Wallflowers were on it. They had a, um, they did a cover of Heroes on the soundtrack. And we were playing basketball in his driveway and we were listening to that soundtrack and this song came on with these heavy, just crushing guitars. And I was like, what is this? And it was Brain Stew by Green Day. And my mind was shattered. I mean, I, oh. I, that I remember that this was eighth grade and I remember this moment, like it was yesterday and I was obsessed immediately. Like, oh, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, and then a few weeks later, we went on a, a field trip to Washington, D.C. And so we were at this mall and 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 I was like, I can buy whatever I want. My parents aren't here. Like, I can get anything. And so I bought Dookie. And I, again, remember taking the CD to the bus, putting it in my disc man, and burnout comes on. And I I had chills and I and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. It was... It, it was it was unlike anything I'd ever heard. I loved it from the second that first note hit, and I wanted to tell everybody about it. I remember going back to the hotel room and like playing it on the stereo, and like we had like a dance party in the room of like moshing to Dookie, like a bunch of dorky eighth graders. Um, and man, that was that was a big big moment for me. And I think yeah. that summer, my friend fr- um, who lived in Las Vegas like flew back and brought da- um, brought Dude Ranch. Um, and brought a guitar and he could play damn it. And he showed me how to play uh-huh. brain stew. And I was like, what? Like you can play these songs. And, um, you know, I went out and bought like a cheap hundred dollars Squire Strat and taught myself, you know, the guitar and, um, man, really from that moment at the end of eighth grade, I was just hooked. 
and I was obsessed with music and I was obsessed with punk rock. And I mean, I bought every Green Day CD you could. Um, you know, this was 98. So this was before Enema of the State came out. But man, I played Dude Ranch on repeat. And then I think we got into MXPX and then we got into Less Than Jake. And Boy, I have to stop you for a second because oh, there's so much here already. You mean to tell me that you got to like be a fan and buy Enema the day it came out? I remember it so well. It was uh, funny. It was it was my birthday a few weeks ago, and one of my friends from high school, one of my good friends, wished me a happy birthday, and um, posted a photo of us when we were like sixteen or something. Um, and and I was thinking about, I was like, man, she was at my house the day Enema came out. Like I remember, she was like at like basketball camp or sw- she was a swimmer. Swim. She was probably at like swim camp or something. And she brought a friend over and they were at my house and we were watching Blink like on MTV or whatever they were doing. Like there was something. And yeah, the day Enema came out, I, re- I remember it well. Because then when you hear what you, my age again for the first time, I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I could not believe what I was hearing, you know, like these guys who did damn it in Josie and, you know. Dude, that's going to be a historic thing to talk about. How fucking crazy is that? I know. I know it was. And so it was cool to kind of be there for the ride of Enema because, you know, they were notable before that. But Enema was a whole different ball game, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I used to have a VHS um, and I still I'm sure it's at my mom's house somewhere. Every time Blink, when they started getting on TV, every time they were on TV, I would record it. And I've got this VHS tape at my parents' house that's them on The Tonight Show and them on MTV and them when they were on Saturday Night Live. I mean, I remember coming home from boys basketball game at my high school and making sure like we were there on time to watch the band on SNL. And like I had friends over and we were watching Blink on SNL. And like, that was such a huge thing. And, um, you know, whenever they had their MTV sp- and I've talked to Georgians, I've talked Georgians ear off about all this stuff. So dude, I was going to ask that. I was yeah. like, because Chris Georgian has been on this podcast and explained what it was yeah. like to be with the band as all of that was happening. And the fact that you're friends with him, like you must have the craziest fanboy well, moments to be like, well, it's oh my funny God, because I, f- I started working with Chris. Um, he, he works for Pat Magnarella, Green Day's old manager. So like, that was a crazy day for me when I was working with Chris yeah. and Pat, when I got, I started working on the Goo Goo Dolls who they manage. And uh, when I was at Warner and I was, I love liner notes. I'm still to this day obsessed with liner notes. And I used to have a whole rack of CDs back here, my old CDs. And one day, I, every now and then I'll flip through them and just kind of look. And I was looking through an old, either a newfound Gloria CD or a Blink CD. And I saw Chris's name in there. I'm like, what? Who, who is this guy? And I Googled him and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh my God. And I I think I texted him like, dude, I just found out who you are. <laughs> you know? That's so crazy. So then that's how yeah. you guys became friends? Or like, like, how did that, that that's just I love that you guys are friends because it's the same with Ben. Well, it's the and it was, ben Farber is also a massive and it fan. Was a, and it was, that's how I met Chris. And then Ben and I would talk about, the, you know, pop punk and blink and all that all the time. And um, Ben, I think really helped kind of make Chris and I become more than just colleagues. And, and we got, we have a text thread together, the three of us. And it's, it's called like pop punk's not dead or something like that. And it's got the blink logo on it. And all we do is talk about pop punk on there. Wait, I should actually say though, because we are kind of getting meta <laughs> sure. on 
the where are all my friends podcast which is crazy so if there is anyone who's just now listening and who hasn't followed with all of these episodes the reason that this is absolutely insane is ben farber who works at warner was on the podcast massive fan of blink 182 very close friends with adam and then chris georgian was on the podcast and i cannot believe that i did his first ever podcast but he was on the podcast and shared all of the stories of blink 182 and managing them back in the day and uh yeah so that's why all of these worlds are coming together right now and it's just insane so if you're listening to this and you need to be caught up all of those episodes exactly. are there but exactly. that's what we that got is. i i do want to get to yeah. your story more too because i'm really really interested in you and you just painted a picture so well of the most genuine authentic fan of music and that picture that you painted is so relatable like as you were saying all that i was like dude i remember the first time i heard green day dookie like i got that cd in the mail and like i didn't understand that and i got an mxpx cd at the same time and i got enema so it was a little bit after you but i didn't know what that was and i was like what like this isn't music from the radio and like i was just skateboarding listening to that and you said something too that like really made me feel something where music wasn't just Spotify accessible. Like you couldn't now, like you just go listen to anything. It literally doesn't matter. Just search anything. But the fact that you were on a trip at a mall and you were like, oh, my parents aren't here so I can get this album. And that feeling of like finding that album, striking gold, listening to it and loving it, but also just like having to literally discover and acquire music. Like I felt that way about uh, Eminem. The Slim Shady EP LP that that was like treasure, like getting and that, that was as a even kid, before like, what? Napster. This was before illegal downloading. Like that wasn't even a thing when I got. Dude, it's so funny. I had this out for some reason, but this is the actual Dookie CD um, right there. I've got it in my hands that I bought, and um, but it was like it. It was yeah. That's the only way you could get it. You could listen to music and. And I do, I remember getting this album and flipping, the liner notes are destroyed in this thing. And I remember flipping through and then looking on the back and seeing 3300 Warner Boulevard, Burbank, California, thinking like, what's that? What's, what goes on there? And we'll fast forward and I got to work there, which was like the weirdest, craziest thing ever. But Well, that was my next question, was you painted the picture perfectly of, I, of, of being yeah. that music fan. And then, well, then what? Like, how did that translate into your career? I never really thought thought of it as a career. I, I graduated from college or from high school and went to college. Um, I was a terrible test taker. I was a, not a great student. I wasn't a bad student, but just, just didn't care. <laughs> it was, I wanted to go play guitar and whatever. And, um, you know, a crazy thing happened. My sophomore year of, of, of college, one of my best friends was booking shows at this college in central Illinois. And he's like, yo, would you, would in it for the t-shirt when I get back together and play a show, if we can get like the starting line to headline. And I'm like, oh yeah, to open for the start. And this is 2003. So I was like, yeah, if the starting line's going to play, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. And he couldn't get the starting line. They were too expensive. He was like, who else should I get? I was like, you know, I just got, I just started listening to this band. They're from Chicago. Like, I think you can get them for probably cheap. They're called Fallout Boy. And he's like, all right, let's see what we can do. And so Stop. he books Fallout Boy for, I don't know, like nothing. And they play, we play this show opening for Fallout Boy. Stop it. And I don't know, there was probably 30 people there. 
I've got photos of it. It's we were awful. I mean, we, it was the probably the worst show we ever played. But I had this vision before the show of like, um, it was right after Take This to Your Grave came out, and I thought they're gonna see us and they're gonna be like, yo, come on tour with us, and we're gonna get your record deal if you buy ramen. Like the, I, I had that in my head, and we were so bad. And then they came on and just blew the house Perfect. down. It was that moment I was like, okay, I'm not going to be a rock star. I got to figure something else out, you know, like. Dude, yeah. getting shit on by Fallout Boy in person was your realization. That is yeah. the best story. I know. And then, I mean, then me? that whole thing comes back around later in my career too. But, you know, it's, um, and those guys couldn't have been cooler. I just remember Pete coming up to the front of the stage with his arms folded, just doing this to our songs. And I was like, oh, he was so cool because we were terrible. Um, but you know, then I went back to college and, um, I was studying political science and I transferred multiple schools. Cause like, I just couldn't figure out what I was doing. And I was walking back from school, I went to this college, Augustana college in Rock Island, Illinois. And I was walking back from class of my political theory class. And I just remember thinking like, I hate this. I hate this. I can't do this the rest of my life. So I got back to my house and I called my dad and I said, dad, I want to leave Augie and I want to work in the music industry. And my dad was like, awesome. Let's figure out how, let's figure out what the next step for you is. R right. Exactly. It, 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 what a dad. I what mean, that was the greatest. Guy. And, and my, my mom as well, by the way. Um, and he, he was a music teacher. So he knew about this college up in Minnesota, St. Paul called McNally Smith. And they had a music business program, a production program. So literally that weekend we drove six hours up to St. Paul. I visited the school. I was like, I'm doing it. And I left Augie and started there that summer. I immediately meet this kid, Brian, and he was in this band called Four Letter Lie, and they were they eventually signed to Victory. And that guitar player, well, and the guitar player in that band now is in a day band. to remember, and the drummer of that band is Modson. And so, like, it's just, a, I was talking to Brian about this not that long ago, like, what a weird thing. Like, I remember, like, you guys getting your record deal, and um, he introduced me to some other cool bands that I that I got into, and I was really into this band called Over It, and him and I bonded over Over It. They were this awesome, amazing pop punk band out of Virginia, and I think Santa, they moved to like Santa Barbara or something. They're on Lobster. And after one of their shows, I went up and, and talked to the bass player, Seth. I was like, I love your band. I'm obsessed with your band. Like, what can I do to help? And he's like, yeah, like, I'll send you stickers and stuff. Um so him and I kept in touch over the years. And when I moved up to Minnesota, they would come and play up there and I'd go see them. And eventually I knew I wanted to get an internship. And so I hit up Seth and they had just signed a virgin at this time. And I hit up Seth from the band. He's like, where do you want an internship? I want, I, we have all sorts of indie labels out here in Southern California. Like where do you want to go? I know all of them. I was like, I want to go to the militia group. He's like, sick, done. Don't even worry about it. Got you. And, and so I got this internship at the militia group. This is summer 06. And the militia group was this cool indie label. They put out Rufio and Cartel and Acceptance and Copeland and, you know, some really cool bands like that. And um, I moved out to California for the summer and interned at the militia group. Um, and I knew it was, there was like 15 interns and I was like, all these kids want these jobs. Like, how am I going to get a job in the music industry? Like all that, all they all want it. And um yeah, yeah. So when I moved back to St. Paul to finish off school, I I started like reaching out to there was a band from Philadelphia called Capital Risk and they were like 16-year-old kids. And I really liked them and I hit them up on MySpace and I was like, I want to help you guys out. And so I was kind of like managing them, but like kind of not really, more just like we talked on AIM all day every day and um 
through them, I, I met this guy, Jeff, who was like a former A&R guy at Epic, and he was starting his own independent label. And, and I started like kind of working for him for free. He was in Buffalo and I was in St. Paul and we would just talk over AIM and I would help put press kits together. And I got like interviews or reviews on like absolutepunk.net and stuff like that. And I, I somehow secured like a licensing deal with MTV for some of these bands and they got like played on like the real world. Like, I don't even remember how I did it. I remember going to Kinko's and like FedEx or um like um faxing agreements over mm-hmm. and just signing and being like, I have no idea what I'm signing right now. Um, but, you know, by the time I graduated, which was 07, I had a pretty decent resume with all this stuff on there, even if some of it was fake and or, or whatever. Um, I moved to L.A. with no job. I just got literally 10 days after I graduated, got my car, moved out to L.A. I got an apartment with a friend I went to college with and applied, started applying for jobs for everything. And I just sat in my apartment and applied for jobs, probably 100 jobs. I got two callbacks. One of them was some management company that managed like comedians. I don't remember what it was called. And then the other was this marketing company called Machine Shop. And I went in and I discovered it was owned by the band Lincoln Park. And they were looking for a assistant for the girl who like ran the company. And um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. And so I, I went to go work for Lincoln Park <laughs> right out of college. And at that time, I mean, they were one of the biggest bands in the world at that time. I mean, yeah, they still dude. are, but yeah. they were peak. What at, album you know, cycle peak was that? Peak at that time. Minutes to Midnight. It was right after Minutes to Midnight came out. Um, wow. So they were did like a, like a million they had albums in the first week. Like the they were huge. Yeah. And I wasn't a Linkin Park fan, but of course I knew who they were. And I was familiar with the biggest songs. And um, um, But it was interesting, you know learning about them and I didn't know how big they were. I remember a couple of weeks after I started, one of the girls was like, um, Hey, you want to go to the, the show tonight? And I go, sure. Like, where are they playing? And she said, Staples center. I go, well, like, who are they opening for? She was opening for, <laughs> you know, cause like I didn't, I did, I had no. And then I went and it was the first time I ever saw them. And I was like, I know all of these songs and I've never owned a Lincoln park CD. Uh-huh. And it was like, that's how big they are. Like, that's how big they are that I know all these songs and I've never went out of my way to listen to them, you know? So yeah, man. And I just worked my way up. I was, I, I watered plants. I got groceries. I, the guitar player, if he would need help with his uncle's computer, he would come over to like, call me and say, you need to go to my uncle's house. And I would like help his uncle fix his computer. Just like fucking I mean, anything, but I didn't care. I did not care. I was in LA working for one of the biggest bands in the world. And they were paying me and I was like, I'll do whatever. I I just don't care. This is like the greatest thing ever. Um, and it was so hard. It was really hard. It was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Um, a really demanding band that just expects the best out of everybody. Also the best education I could have ever received is from those guys. You know, I worked my way up and they didn't, digital wasn't really a thing like MySpace was out, but like I started their Facebook for them. I started their Twitter for them. I started their Instagram for them. And I kind of saw that need and said, let me like just run all your digital stuff for you. Whoa, um, smart. So I did. And eventually that just became my job was like, it was like, yeah, all right, you're the digital guy. And um, on their website for years, I would post as me. It would be like, Adam, uh, Lincoln Park announces a tour, you know, like, and they kind of let me be the the voice of the band and that they liked that the fans knew who I was. And, um, 
you know, I could, I could talk to the fans in a way that not a lot of people could. I mean, they all had my cell phone number and I, and you know, if a fan site leaked a, a tour date, I could hit the kids up and say, Hey, you got to take that down, man. You know? And I would also give them a little information early. And cause I knew if I gave them something, when I needed a favor from them, they would, they would, they would be scared that I would like cut them off, you know? So, um, and I still talk to those kids. The, the Cubs are playing the Braves right now. One of these kids is a huge Braves fan and we text back and forth about it all the time, but um that's so yeah man so like cool. that's that's really how i got into digital like yeah what like that's, that's yeah and amazing i had no idea and again this is why i yeah. love doing this podcast because things like this happen and i'm like what the fuck actually but like <laughs> dude that's i love there's so much in that story that just feels like you are so authentically doing it for the right reasons where like you were just a fan you're like i don't give a fuck i'll go i'll go fix this computer i'll go do this i'll go drive here i'll go do that I don't care. And then finding it wasn't even like it sounds like some crazy master strategic plan, but just naturally seeing that opening of, hey, somebody should run your MySpace. Somebody should do this and doing it and doing that so organically like, damn it, that's cool. And I love that it paid off for you. Yeah, man. And and and, you know, it created a real what's funny is I remember Mike from the band hit me up one day and was like, Early on, it was like, hey, man, I want you to get on the message boards and talk to the fans about there was a hurricane that hit or something. He said, start a conversation about that. I said, oh, okay. It was the first time I'd ever gone on the message boards. And I went on and I just said, hey, I'm Adam. And da, da, da. And the fans just tore me apart, tore me apart. They're like, who are you? We don't care. Like, they were so mean. And I was like, okay, you need to have trust with these. These fans want someone that they can rely on. And they, and you've got to earn their trust. They don't care that you work for the band. You've got to earn their trust. And I took it really, really seriously and really worked to have a, a an amazing relationship with these fans, um, you know, over the years to, I mean, if you look, I've got, I don't know how many Twitter followers I have, like 25,000 and they're all Lincoln Park fans, you know, and, um, and I still take it really, I was talking to Ben about this just last week. I said, I, you know, I always think about that before I tweet something or post something like I'm even though I won't work for that band anymore, I'm still representing that band. And everything I post in the world like needs to be a good representation of that band. So yeah, it was a great lesson, you know, and eventually it led to, I ended up going on tour with with the band and I did all their meet and greets every night. I toured the world with those guys and we did these amazing fan club events. Um, uh, you know, I mean, we did everything. We were in South Africa and New Zealand and Japan and Russia and Ukraine and um gosh, everywhere. We went everywhere for a couple of years. And um, again, just an experience I never imagined I'd ever have, like touring with one of the biggest bands on the planet. <laughs> like, like what? I'm from a small town in Illinois. Like, this is insane to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's still weird to think about if I'm honest. I'm like shook by this. I, I, I genuinely had no idea. And that's so insane. And you're so humble about it. I'm surprised that I mean, you very much could have had a path in touring. I came from touring world. And once I got a taste of that, it was very, very cool. And I always gravitated towards that. Yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't become full tour guy, especially having experienced tour on that level. Yeah. And I think that was part of it is because the way we were touring was 
you know, in Europe, if we were doing festivals, charter flights, which aren't glamorous, by the way, it's, you you know, I hated flights, actually, because it's hard to sleep on. But, you know, tour buses and staying in really amazing hotels and like everything's taken care of for you. And I I knew, especially talking to some of the other roadies, they were like, by the way, this is like about as good as it gets. Like, you know, and and so I knew like that was pretty special. The band took really, really good care of us. And it was also really hard um, being away. Um, you know, I bought a house while we were on tour, um, got engaged, you know, while we were on tour. And, um, so it was, it, it was hard to be away from my fiance at the time. And my dad was sick at the time. And that was, you know, I was gone pretty much the whole year. My dad was sick. And, um, I, you know, after a couple of years of touring, I, I remember I was sitting on a flight to New Zealand and my dad had just passed away. I was about to get married in a month. My, um, uh, we had just bought the house and moved in and I was on a flight to New Zealand and I just remember thinking like, I don't want to be on this flight. Like, I don't want to do this. I, I'm so tired of flying and I was only going to be there for two days or something. And yeah, um, it wasn't long after that, that I hit up my buddy um, at Warner Casey, um, Lincoln Park's label. And I said, yo man, I'm just looking for a new gig. I think it's time for me to do something else. He said, come on, come on, work at Warner. I said, no, no, no. I don't want to go work on a major label. No, that sounds awful. He said, no, just come in, come in. And um, I went in and I talked to them and I was like, you know what? Like, why not? Why not? And so that was 2013. And I I went and worked for Warner. I still got to work for Lincoln Park, (laughs) which was like the best thing ever, you know? I'm shook, man. I'm shook. I wasn't... I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready for that line of events. And what a crazy story. And uh, I don't know, a bunch of cool pieces coming together. So you go to Warner and then what? Uh, Yeah, I went to Warner. This was, this was 2013. This was just about eight years ago, almost exactly. Yeah. Um, And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I thought I was really, you know, it was cool because it it was, it's Lincoln Park's label. And I remember, thinking like, God, the manager and the band, like, are they going to be pissed that I'm like leaving to go to their label? And not only were they not pissed, like a, they were just happy for me. They were, I was with Lincoln park five and a half years and they were just so just like, dude, it's awesome that you're getting new experience. Like, that's great. And they're like, Oh, by the way, now we have you at the label. Like what? (laughs) Come on. Like that's the greatest thing that could happen to us. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's total cheat code. And, um, so I went to Warner and, um, man, it was hard. The first few years, I think it took me about two years before I really felt like, okay, I belong here. Um, it was just a whole different ball game. And instead of working on one artist, I'm working on 20 and there's a lot of pressure there. And, but I had a unique experience coming from Lincoln park and I had a unique perspective on things. And I still think I have a unique perspective on things because I know what it's like to work for an artist. Yeah. Oh, what what was your job when you went into the label? I didn't ask. It, I was a manager, digital marketing manager, doing essentially the same thing I still do to this day. You wow. know, um, had you know digital strategy for my roster of artists. You know, what's that look um, like? Like just to break that down for a <clears> second, because something that I think is yeah. uh, silly is like corporate terms for music industry jobs because mm-hmm. you can make anything sound so official. And it's like, come on, we're a bunch of ragtag kids that are just doing this because we love music. So like when you break it down in simple, regular speak, what's like your favorite part of the job? Where do you shine? What's like, where, where do you come in and just flex of like, I get this because I love it. And here's how we're going to think about this. And this is what I do. Yeah. I, I, 
that's I mean that's pretty easy for me. I'm a I'm an ideas guy. I can have I I'll have ideas for days. If you just if we sit down and start, I'm never I'm never afraid to 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 speak. I'm never afraid to put out stupid ideas. I I will often say this is might be the stupidest idea ever, but I'm going to say it. And often those are the best ideas. You know, um, yeah. I can I love. And I love strategy. I, I I don't like ideas for the sake of ideas. I like strategy. And like, what is the purpose of this? What are we trying to accomplish with this? How can we show that it was successful? Or by the way, how can we show that this was an absolute failure so we don't do it again? Um, yeah. And and I love bringing fans together. I love seeing fans excited. I love um, building a fan base and maintaining a fan base um, with core, hardcore fans. Like they are the reason I have a job. Um, I, I love getting in the weeds with fans and like taking them on a journey and, um, helping them. I mean, I just remember those days when I was obsessed with Blink-182, you know, that was me. So like, I'm speaking to me, you know, um, yeah. as a, as a 16, 15, 16 year old. So gosh, we could get into the weeds on my job, but it's really not that, that, you know, that that's really, I love the ideas and I love the strategy and I love marketing. No, that's cool. That answers it. Well, it's just. I like to kind of break that down because I think that when you're looking at the music industry as a whole, it can almost be like the biggest fans of music can look at it and be like, well, I don't belong there. Like, I don't have this formal education or this, that and this. And it's like, no, no, no. Lean into it. If you're excited, I promise you, you're the best candidate for it. Like they want people that are just real fans. So I like to make that a little more. Human. Well, yeah, man. And, and, you know, over the years, I've had a zillion interns over the years and I've had a zillion people that I was like, this is a smart kid, but like, he doesn't want it. Like he wants immediately wants a big fancy title and big fancy responsibilities. And, um, it's the, it's those young kids who like want to grind and like, or say yes to everything. You know, when I was at Lincoln park, I had this intern, um, named Lorenzo and, and to this day, still one of the smartest people I know. And I remember, you know, he got that internship because, he was a huge Lincoln Park fan and he would email me or DM me on Twitter. And I'm like, I'm not having a Lincoln Park fan as my intern. That's a terrible idea. And I, and he, and he sent me a FedEx package one day that was like a printed out marketing plan that he came up with. And I was like, well, shoot, I, I got like, I at least got to call the kid now, you know? And I called him and he was so smart and he was in Philadelphia. And I was like, dude, when can you be here? And I think he moved out to LA like three weeks later and he was my intern for six months and it was just like, again, another one of those, I think a lot of people would be threatened by him. Yeah. Not me. He pushed me to be better. And I know that he pushed me to be so much better. And, um, as my intern, and by the time I left Lincoln park, he had just graduated from college. And I told them, I said, you don't even need to look anywhere. Just hire this kid. And they did like, he came in right after me and got that job. And him and I are still like good friends to this day, but it was like, you know, he's one of those people that really stood out to me that I always compare every intern to ever. And there's been a few of those, um, you know, there's, there's a kid at, at a kid, there's this guy at Interscope Parker who was our intern at Warner and the kid, we knew immediately this guy's a rock star, you know, and now he's crushing it over at Interscope and, um, you know, it, it it's just people who aren't, aren't afraid to say, to try things and to do things and, um, and they don't expect anything. They just want to do good work, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. That's like, again, that's such a great example of like not being threatened by people or like you could have had an ego there. You could have been like, this fucking fan is trying to try me at what I do, right? Like somebody could have had that energy and you're just like, oh my God, like he, 
he put his heart and soul into this. I'm going to give him a call. And then he was great. And then you took that and you gave him, well, not you, like his, his efforts did, but you helped in him getting a proper career where he deserved one. Yeah. And that's fucking cool. I respect that a yeah. lot. Yeah, man. And, and it, this is the smallest industry. It really, and you and I are a really good example. Everyone knows everybody. If you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows that person. It's just a fact, you know, and, and treating people well, um, you know, and by the way, when I was an assistant with Lincoln Park, it was, it was a really, really tough, demanding job, but it was like the best thing that I could have ever had. It was a really tough few years when I did that, but man, you learn to appreciate the people in those positions because I'm sorry, but assistants have the hardest job. Like they have the hardest job. Um, it is a, it is not. It is so thankless, and it and you're getting paid nothing, and um, you do all the work no one wants to do. And you know, my number one thing is like first and foremost, treat the assistants better than you treat anybody else. Yeah, because they're doing it for like nothing, and and often they're so smart, they're so cool, and so great and smart. So. Um, and then those people are all going to be elevated at some point anyway. So, you know, um, just treat people well. It's it's such a small industry. It's not that hard to just be a good dude, you know? Dude, I can just, I can echo that so much though. And I just, I, I don't know how exactly to say that, but I love your mindset in that because I think, I think that you're doing it for all the right reasons, but I think that that comes from being a genuine fan of music and a genuine, having genuine uh, personal security in what you do where you're not threatened by everyone and you're just like, dude, there's plenty of room for all of us. You're a fan. I'm a fan. Let's go. Yeah. That's that shit I love. And I, I really yeah. I get that energy from you and I like it. Yeah. And I mean, to be honest, it's 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 kind of what got me to where I am today. Um in January, I left Warner Records and I moved over to Elektra, um, which is Roadrunner, Fuel by Ramen, Elektra Records. Yes. Um, and I mean, Fuel by is one of my favorite labels of all time. I did a, I literally did a college, um, in my freshman year of college, we had to do a report or a presentation on like our favorite company. And I did mine on Fuel by, and this was pre take this to your grave, even like this was, they were just a cool punk rock label from Florida, you know? And, 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 you know, I, I was at Warner and it was great. I was there seven and a half years and I just kind of thought, I think, I think it's time for something new. Mm-hmm. And I saw that Electra was hiring and they're based in New York, but I was like, well, who cares? Like I'm in LA, but everyone's remote. I'm just going to see what they say, yeah. you know, and, and it worked and, it, and, and they were stoked and, and I was stoked and, um, I got hired there at the end of the year and. Now I get to work at like one of my favorite. I still can't believe I work at Fuel Buy. Like I, I can't, I can't believe I work here. You know, I'm, I'm now I'm working on 21 pilots and. I was gonna say, do does that mean that we have even more where all my friends crossover because of Minority? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the reason I really got my foot in the door at Electra was because I hit up Ben and George and was like, "You guys know anybody over there?" <laughs> And, and of course they're like, yeah, we know everybody over there. And so George is like, I'm calling the president right now. And he literally called Mike Easterlin and said, you got to get this guy over here. Wow. And um, bugged them about bringing me over. Yeah. And so again, you know, those, those are my buds that, you know, like looking out for me and, um, um, and, and without them, like, who knows a million people applied to these jobs. Um, but when you get a stamp of approval from Chris or from, from Ben, it, it really goes a long way. So, 
Dude. Yeah, I'm over here now and you know, I'm getting to work on like 21 pilots and I'm just doing the Gojira album that's out tomorrow and I'm I'm working on Slipknot and um got all sorts of just really cool stuff. So, it's been it's been a blast over here. It's it feels a lot smaller than Warner, which is so fun. It feels like a big indie. It's yeah. it's great, you know. Well, that's what I've heard. Like it's funny because out of all of the mutual crossovers, I think I think I've said Hey man, I've heard great things once to Mike Easterlin at a Tones and I show. I think that's the most that I've been like, what up, man? Uh, but I just hear that he's just such a rad leader of a team and he's so incredibly cool to work with. And then there's another Where Are All My Friends Dude. alumni that plays into this, and that's Chris Ruff. That's right. Who is yeah, Chris friends Ruff is with over Georgian. there too. Yep. I mean, well, and who isn't Chris Georgian friends with? Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, that's fair. But uh <laughs> But yeah, no, and yeah, and and you know the leadership over there and Mike Easterlin and and Greg Nadell, like you know they really set a cool tone and and um you know the culture there is real and it comes from the top down and it's just been so cool to be there for the last four or five months, dude. That's so cool. Like just all along, like I love hearing stories when genuine people who do what they love kind of follow a path that leads to cooler and cooler things and. It's just inspiring for me to hear, you know, I hope that everybody listening to a podcast like this is just like, damn, yeah, like stay authentic in what you're doing and these things will play out. And I love having stories like yours reaffirm that. And I also cannot believe that we have not crossed paths with every freaking mutual friend in the world. I am truly blown away by that. I'm a bit of a hermit and never I and never like leave my area of LA. So that's probably why, but <laughs> yeah, but still <laughs> when, uh, when we're, well, we got to hang soon though. Yeah. Yeah. I, that absolutely, absolutely needs to happen. So another piece that I like to sometimes end the podcast with, it's a fun question that always gets a really interesting answer is if you were to go back to any part in your career or your life throughout all of it where maybe you felt the most turmoil or uncertainty or doubt, where is that point? And what would you tell yourself now after you've been through it all? Oh, man. You know, I was so looking back, knowing what I do now, I think I would have been really, and if I knew what I knew now, 14 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't think I would have pursued this because I know how hard it is. Um, and I, and I know that it's really hard work and it's really hard to get into these positions. And yes, it's a lot of luck how I got to where I am. Um, a lot of hard work. I still feel turmoil and I still feel like it's all going to be taken away from me any day, even though I've got a 13, 14 year career. Um, and I've done a lot of great things with a lot of great people. I still have such bad imposter syndrome, you know? And, I, and, and so, um, again, it's one of the reasons I really like listening to your podcast is, is hearing other people's stories because, you know, we all come up and we all come from way different backgrounds and, you know, we've all had success. And, um, so, you know, it's almost like now I just kind of wish I could tell myself now, like, dude, you've earned the right to be here. You know what I mean? Like you've, it's, you're good, man. Like, um, no one's going to call you and say, Hey, we found out that you, you're not qualified for this. You know, yeah. so hey, we found uh, out you're just a fan. It's all been turmoil. There's been so many tough, 
Right, right. You know, there's been a lot of really tough days. Um, and I think I've learned lessons from all the really tough days. I wouldn't change a thing. Like I wouldn't change a thing. Even the the worst days of my career, you know, had a purpose behind it. And um, it never gets easier, I don't think. I love that you just said that because I am so surprised by how many close friends feel that imposter syndrome feeling, myself included. And through my eyes, the friends that have talked to me about that, I'm like, you're joking, right? You're like, you're the best one at that. Right. You're the one, like, of all people right. to have imposter syndrome, like, there are certain jabronis that should feel it because I don't know how they got here. But the ones that are so <laughs> right. good will oftentimes have that feeling. And it's just, again, I'm so glad you shared that. And you're so honest about that because I do think that that's reassuring to hear that incredibly qualified, good at their jobs people all feel that. And I think it's the best thing that could that I could have too because it motivates me. I never I never just um, sit back and think, well, like I've got a resume to like go back on. Like I don't need to do this extra work because I constantly feel like I'm going to be told I've been caught. Um, I, I always try to like go the extra mile, um, and, and, you know, justify my incredible luck and fortune and having like my literal dream job. Like how many people get to have their dream job? Like it's, it's mind blowing. I, 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 when I went to college, um, when I moved to St. Paul 13 years ago, um, uh, 14, no, 15 years. Oh my God. 16 <laughs> years ago, I moved to St. Paul. 17, 18, 19. Oh my gosh. That doesn't seem possible. I I know I started, Ben and I were just talking about this the other day. I started a blog, but it's, it's private and it's a, and I just kept it as a journal and I, and whenever, you know, I battled depression for a really long time and anxiety and, and I, and I would always kind of go in there and, and talk about you know, what I was feeling and what my goals were and like, oh, I, this thing happened today that like is getting me one step closer to my goal or my dream or whatever. And, you know, I look back at that blog from 16 years ago now and I have everything I wanted in that blog. And like, that's, that's, that's insane. That That's, that's absolutely insane. And, and it, and, and I'm glad that like, I'm still finding motivation because I never thought I'd get here. So now it's like, all right, dude, like, don't let, you know, 21 year old Adam down, like keep going and don't, don't just be content, you know? Um, and, and I'm just trying to find happiness and that's, you know, as long as I'm happy and I'm doing things that make me happy, then like, I think I'll do good work. So dude, I, so again, like you're saying all of these things and I'm like, I can't believe how much I relate to this and how much I understand that feeling. And I'm so yeah. like, I'm really appreciative that you're sharing it and breaking it down like that because I hope that it helps other people who feel that way and it kind of shows you. It's like, it doesn't really get easier, but you will accomplish your goals. And if you learn the right perspective and enjoy it while you're doing it all, you're in the magic. I tell, I tell interns all the time, I've never seen someone like move out to LA to try to work in the music industry and like really, really try, like really try and fail. I've never, I've never seen it. If you really, really want to work in the music industry, you 1000% can, you just have to be willing to make a lot of sacrifices. Um, and if you're not, then you won't, you won't, you, you won't make it, but you can work in this industry. It's just not easy to do. It's not easy to get your foot in the door. Um, but 
hard work pays off. That's so cool. I love that. I've never heard anybody particularly explain it just yeah. like that. And that's so true. I couldn't agree more. That's that's super cool. Yeah. Um, and then to finally, finally yeah. conclude, where can everyone find you? If they listen to this episode and they're like, dude, this Adam guy, yeah, like he he gets it. I gotta, I gotta tell him that I listen to his episode, then and I like that. They gotta pay that forward. Where do they do that? How do they find you? <laughs> Yeah, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I love Twitter. Twitter's my favorite platform. I'm Hey Dude, I'm Adam on Twitter. Um, you'll mostly find me tweeting about baseball and uh, the Wolverhampton Wanderers Premier League Football Club. Um, I'm on Instagram as Hey Dude, I'm Adam as well. Um, mostly non-exciting content, but knock yourselves out. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. Well, seriously, dude, thank you so much. I'm so glad this episode finally happened because it was meant to be. And I'm certain of that. Yeah, dude, it was an honor for you to like ask me to be on. I really did not expect that. I was just reaching out to tell you, Hey, I love your show. It was like, I, so cool that you asked me to be on this for real. Like I was really looking forward to this. I have like this mental barometer when I like talk to people on the internet of, I don't care at all about like a follower count or anything like that. I don't care about like credits and anything. I don't care about position title. I'm always just thinking, I'm like, yep. are you going to have a cool story? Like, do you love what you do? Did you do something interesting enough? Like, yeah. is there something there? And I just have like, I just, there's a feeling and I, I just absolutely had that with you. I was like, yeah. this guy, yeah, this guy knows. That's awesome. So yeah. Dang, man. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Thanks, man. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing it, dude. I'm legit honored. Of course. Thanks for having me, buddy. Of course. So there you have it, Adam's story. I hope you liked that one. I, I really enjoyed it and I love tying those worlds together and I really loved a lot of what he had to share. I feel like he's just such a humble, rad dude and everything he had to say about imposter syndrome and just sharing his experiences. If you've made it this far, I just wanna ask you one thing here at the end, just a reminder to share this episode with your friends or on social media or subscribe if you haven't already. It seriously helps so, so much. So that's my little reminder at the end of the episode. If you're down to take a screenshot or do whatever to share it right now, it would mean a ton. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with another episode.